All that to say, the more that we can bring people into the conversation and they get to see, hey, I have some dimensions of diversity. Maybe it's socioeconomic, maybe it's geography, maybe it's industry. You know, let's broaden this thing and not water it down, but get everybody to connect in a way that, oh, I've experienced some difference. Now I can know what it's like maybe to be there for somebody that's different than me. And I'm going to appreciate differences because I have my own unique differences as well. As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sippel Jr., Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I get the distinct pleasure to be sitting here with all of you today in the studio with Julie Kratz. Julie is the founder and inclusive leadership trainer at Next Pivot Point. She's also a podcast host of the Next Pivot Point podcast, an author, a TEDx speaker, and a incredible leader that I've enjoyed following the last couple of years through her content. I was attracted to her content and her directness about helping us all lead well and be an active ally in the world that we live in today. So Julie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. This is going to be fun. Julie, so I, I have had the opportunity to read, listen to a lot of your content your motivational talks, your learning about your speaking engagements, and you have a sincere passion around unconscious bias and active allyship. And I thought it would be a great conversation to have with someone who's so embedded in this work, like yourself for our audience, to hear, you know, in today's world, we hear about being an ally for all of our employees and all of our community. And then we hear the other side of this of, well, you can say you're an ally, but what are you doing? Yep. Active ally, right? How are you putting this action into energy? So can you share with us a little bit about what you are finding in today's world is most important for leaders to hear on this topic? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you really hit on it, Mike, that it's a hot topic. And certainly the events of the summer of 2020 made it an even more important topic with social justice and the Black Lives Matter movement resurgence. And I'm thankful that conversation is still continuing into 2021 and hopefully well beyond. But whatever brings you into this journey, it is a journey. And I always share with people, it's never ending. So the good news is there's always more to learn. The bad news is there's always more to learn. And I think that's what organizations are wrestling with, to your point of how do I show up actively, not just when it's Black History Month, not just when it's Pride Month or whatever flavor of diversity tends to be talked about at the given moment, showing up intentionally and consistently over time. And I'm finding the real game changer with my clients is when you have the senior leadership team really engaged in this work. So they're getting themselves educated. You know, they're, they're leveraging resources that are available through people like me or engaging in their own journey, however they get there. But then they're really doing the due diligence of disseminating that information throughout their organization and helping others bring them into the ally conversation. 
is one of the big watch outs as we, as you mentioned, the word active ally is really important because sometimes if we just show up, you know, when it's the flavor of the month or we give the impression that this is a one and done conversation or training event or whatever it is, that we're not really there for people that experience hardships that are underrepresented in the workplace and marginalized more than others. And we don't want to run to the risk of being what we call a performative ally. And that that is somebody that you kind of reads the book, listens to the podcast, and then like does nothing else, you know, or like, I'm an ally, which is like, you can't self-proclaim this stuff. Right. So you really, we need more active allies. And I, I'm really intrigued by the amount of allies coming into the conversation that continue to do so. So some of the books and resources that you've written, how male allies support women for gender equality. Lead Like an Ally, A Journey Through Corporate America with Strategies to Facilitate Inclusion. Many individuals, when they hear allyship right now, their focus goes to race race relations. You have the LGBTQ plus community around allyship and support. And we talk a lot here at the Talent Magnet Institute that organizations and the leader, you that are listening to this episode, that are watching this episode, we naturally think that the world, you know, naturally there's this bias that the world kind of operates around who I am and what I bring. But the reality is you're, many of you are employers, you're leading people who bring, you need to help them bring their whole self to work. You need to help them support. We talk a lot about, Julie, bringing out the greatest good of all of the people who are around us, both in work, community, and life. And you talk so much about this particular topic that I'd love to get a little bit of like the gender equality piece. What do we need to keep in mind there with race relations, with, you know, sexual preference, with religion? How can we as leaders put the right resources into action to ensure that all of the people around us that we lead, that we employ, that we influence, that we interact with, feel loved, valued, heard, and understood. Yeah. Oh, I love the fact that you used the word love because I do think that has a place in the workplace. I think the fact that we've like removed emotions (laughs) from the workplace is super odd. So I'm loving, I'm loving that that is something that's come from the pandemic too, is connection, belonging, these feeling words. (laughs) Now that we're in our living room, suddenly we can connect more through a Zoom when we had to leave ourselves at the door in the corporate environment. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. But to your point, Mike, Diversity canvases, quite a few dimensions. So I think right now, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing that happens from time to time. We saw this a few years ago with Me Too. It was all about gender, right? And oddly enough, that's what I wrote my book one about how I can be allies, not knowing that any of that was coming into the forefront, which is really interesting. And, you know, fast forward to now where race is really paramount and, and rightfully so. We're not competing against one another. And I think that's been part of the narrative that honestly has kind of been, I don't know if it's intentional, but it's quite effective as a divide and conquer strategy of keeping us apart. And I know I've noticed that, especially with women of color in the women's communities, women's conferences, feminists, traditionally was white women and straight white women at that. So we haven't done a good job uh, holistically talking about diversity. I myself contributed to this problem talking about gender as a white woman early on in my business. So 
it's not that we can't write that ship. You know, it took me uh, my own personal journey of learning about the different dimensions of diversity, talking with people on my podcast, interviewing them for my books, what, whatever it took to learn more. And what I've come to find out is that, yeah, we want to include everybody in this conversation. The more that we actually include everybody in the inclusion conversation, yeah. the more that the majority group, which tends to be, you know, white, straight, cisgender, male, that runs most of the Fortune 500 companies, I think 92% of CEOs fall into that category, for example. Although a lot of people are not out at work, so that data may, you know, be invariably different. And we, we just don't know. But all that to say that if we're not including everyone in the conversation, we're not going to move forward, right? Like, I think we've been unintentionally excluding the people with the most power and privilege in a way that's not helpful. And traditionally, you know, there's been this shaming of like, you do this wrong, you can't do that, you know, because people get so mad because they're the way they're treated every day. <laughs> this is like, and I, you know, rightfully so, there's definitely anger. But we've got to include men as allies for women. We've got to include white people in the conversation around what it's like to be a person of color and experience racism. We've got to include straight people in the LGBTQ plus conversation. What's interesting about that, since you brought that up, Mike, that community has actually really shown the value of allies. You know, if you look back 20 years ago, social acceptance rate of something like gay marriage was very low here in the United States. And now I think last count, it was like two thirds a couple of years ago. So it's probably even higher now of acceptance. That kind of social change, that kind of progress that quickly is unheard of. Race and gender, we have not advanced <laughs> that quickly for sure. It's just been this lingering, staggering kind of amount of effort for very little stagnant results. So all that to say, the more that we can bring people into the conversation and they get to see, hey, I have some dimensions of diversity. Maybe it's socioeconomic, maybe it's geography, maybe it's industry. You know, let's broaden this thing and not water it down, but get everybody to connect in a way that, oh, I've experienced some difference. Now I can know what it's like maybe to be there for somebody that's different than me. And I'm going to appreciate differences because I have my own unique differences as well. Yeah. And Julie, there's so much data, right? So, you know, individuals who are leading and running teams and building business, you know, we're all inundated with, I've got to see the data. I've got to see the business results, right? And the data around the impact of diversity, inclusion, and equity in your teams and in your workplace, immediately creativity goes up, innovation goes up, the big ideas are found. You know, I know we interviewed very early in our podcast journey, we interviewed a leader from Procter & Gamble and his, he talked all about the dynamic of when Procter just like rec finally recognized that our teams have to resemble the world we serve, right? And it's like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's genius. And, and at that time, there was a, a time where we were all reading articles like, yes, we have to. And there's another one of our faculty members who talks about some of the consumer brands that she has consulted with. She's a diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor. Her name's Dr. Janet Reed. And she talks about how, how products, you know, shoot to the moon because we actually include others' voices who are purchasing our products. Yeah. And what can we be doing to ensure so... There's so much data that what we're discussing is profound and let alone 
it's the right thing to do to love well. You know, it's the right thing to care regardless of our different views of world and life. Yeah. To appreciate, respect, listen, and value others, right? Like if we come from that kind of heart, it just shatters the myths, the concerns, the fears. Just care about people right? Why is it so hard for leaders like us who are in this space? Like, you know, but, you know, we all have our own journey, right? We've all been there. We've all had our own journeys that we've been on. Can you share a little bit around your work of helping get senior leadership engaged in this work? And as I, you know, as I always reference, when you show up in a room talking about this, this is to you, our audience, we recognize that people are at all variations on the spectrum of understanding. There are some people who you're tuning in for the first time and going, why are they even talking about this? There are some that are like, thank goodness, we need to talk about this more. And yes, this is why I listen. And there are others who you're on your own journey. You're working through your own natural inclinations and biases and you know, all of those dynamics. We realize that we're all at different ends of the spectrum. But Julie, when you're working with a team, how do you start? How do you get a team to respect, value, and appreciate the things that they, that all of the people in the room Yeah. and evaluating where they are on this journey? Yeah. To answer your question, Mike, with the senior leadership team in, in, in particular, they have to be on board Maybe they're already on board, like they've seen the value, like a Procter and Gamble, right? Like they have a board of directors, and they have constituents that are completely. Like, this is a mess too at this point. Small, medium-sized organizations, and even some larger organizations that have somewhat slipped um, through the radar on this, might be having that awakening moment, and they might be pretty white male heavy, and they may not get it. To be honest, like why do we even talk about this? This is something that's in the past. And a lot of that unpacking has to do with like your own childhood. I mean, to be honest, it goes back to your roots of the messages you were told, the media you consumed, what your parents said about gender, race, and other differences. I, for one, was taught to be colorblind. I mean, imagine. I think for a lot of white people, you know, 2020 is like, what? I thought this was over. Like That's what I was told my whole life. And maybe I didn't even have any black or brown friends. So I didn't know this was going on. That's the reckoning that was needed to bring people into the conversation. So reflecting on your own experiences. And I then I think senior leaders like data, so to your point, I'm I'm a little over talking about the business case because there's, like you said, reams of data. I I just Google it, people. You can find and it's not one of those things that you really find contradictory data. The only thing you find that like happens with diverse team is it takes a little bit longer for them to kind of storm and norm and make decisions, which That's a part of diversity, right? But you get better innovation, better decisions, better profits, better revenues, like all these things on the other side of a little bit more time. So once they get their head around the business case, and I have helped them craft their own human case for it, like what will happen if nothing changes? You know, if we don't mirror the communities that we want to serve, like what what are we going to lose out on? And people do respond to that. They need some pain to change behavior, to, to change language. And then they, they really need a strategy there. You know, who are we and why does diversity, equity, and inclusion matter here? What does that mean to us and how are we going to do it? And that's when the roadmap comes in and the actions 
come in, but you really have to do a bit of self-discovery work as a leadership team to reckon with where you've been and where you want to be in your own personal why for this work and then why it's important to the mission of our organization that we do this work. Because without that, you're kind of just doing the stuff without any emotion or like real connection to it. So that's generally my approach. And then when you think about rolling this out to all employees, for example, I think the middle manager is absolutely critical to this conversation and often overlooked. Um, most data shows two-thirds-ish white guys. And they were like me, Gen Xers that like were raised to not think these things happened. And if you're a white man in the workforce, it's probably gone pretty well for you. <laughs> so you didn't know that these things were happening to women or people of color. And how would you? I mean, it's not their fault. But unfortunately, we haven't again included them in the conversation. So that's kind of where the wheels fall off the bus in most organizations. The senior leadership teams like singing like, yeah, this is great because like we care and we're on the journey. The front line is mostly made of, you know, Gen Z, which they're like the most diverse generation. I think they're like 50% white. So <laughs> just by nature, they get it. Although they can't solve the problems. Like you can't like kick the can to that generation to solve this. We all have to be in this together. But then you have this kind of murky middle where they, they need education. They need content. They didn't know what to do. I mean, you and I talked about how to make this actionable and practical for people. They just really just need to open their eyes and talk with somebody that's different than them and be willing to listen and learn from them and get on that journey. And most of the time, once you get on the journey, you're, you're, unless something really bad happens, which often does not, then they're likely to stay on the journey, right? And that's where we just kind of need to nudge them along. Yeah. And Julie, one of the things that I've enjoyed many, there's many things I've enjoyed with us connecting and following and learning from you, but the, just the practical nature of a lot of the speaking engagements that you do, a lot of the facilitations that you lead. And to be frank, for anyone who's not following Julie on LinkedIn, I would encourage you to do that because your tools and your resources are just so intentional around clarity, right? Like providing like it's here are the things you can do right now, you know, tools, tips, resources, guides. Can you speak to one of your recent guides that you put out? And I got something we want to include in the show notes, but I thought it would be most valuable for you to share some of the recent guides that you've put out so yeah. we can direct people to those. Yeah, you know, after years of doing this work and being asked countless times, like, just tell me the thing to do, Julie. You know, the facilitator and me, the coach and me, it's like, I can't tell you, you have to decide. Yeah. I resisted and then I gave in. Actually, it's been wonderful. I have a new team member. Her name's Catherine that put together this resource list, which I think of all my LinkedIn posts is like the most high performing post I've ever had. And it's simply, I think it's five or six pages and we're continuing to update it. So for listeners, if you know about the resources, you can actually submit new ones to add to the list. But the journey, 80% of the ally journey is education. And you, what we know about education, it takes takes time to unlearn like what we learned in school. I, for one, I learned U.S. history three different times in school, which I don't know why I had to learn it that many times, but middle school, high school, and college. Yeah. It was like the same thing. And it was very whitewashed. And it was very much like slavery ended and this is over. Or the feminists, you know, we got the right to vote in 1920. It's over, you know? It's just like nothing else beyond that, you know? And you're like, what? There's so much more to our history that we don't know. We're not taught in, in a, it's a systemic issue. It's it's very problematic. 
you can't help solve a problem if you're not aware of what the problem is. And this is what our history and our education needs. So with that in mind, most of the resources, you know, there's some short videos on like, what is systemic racism, for example? It's super powerful to understand the wealth accumulation problem in this country. White people have been handing down money and property for years, you know, centuries. Black people, not so much. I mean, it's really been within the last 50 years or so that they've been able to accumulate wealth. So what does that look like, right? Why do white people have 13 times wealth as black and brown people? It's, it's because of that. So just knowing some of these things is really helpful to be like, oh, it is different. Their lived experiences are different than mine. I can be an ally. I can better understand these issues. So I'd encourage you, check out a documentary. There, there's several documentaries on the list that once you open your eyes to some of these things, or it's you know the story of Stacey Abrams, for example, I find incredibly compelling. And in one of the things, one of the most actionable things I would say you can do once you've educated yourself a little bit is to have a conversation. Have a conversation intentionally with somebody that's different than you and ask them what it's like to be them. And all you have to do as an ally is listen. Listen to learn, listen with curiosity. Listen not with the intent to tell them what they need to do or save the day or make it a pity party. Oftentimes you'll find that someone's lived experiences when you compare notes and it being drastically different than yours, that you learn something, you gain something, you get perspective you empathize, you can do more. And they'll tell you, hey, you need to talk to more people about this. That's what my friends of color say. Like, you need to talk to more white people about this. You need to talk to your kids about this. Right. So anybody has children or knows any little people in your life, your auntie, uncle, whatever, whatever, you have friends, kids, like whatever it is, it's great to talk with kids about this. I'm having some really intriguing conversations with my seven-year-old. I host another podcast, the Inclusion School podcast, because and a partner, a woman of color that was having some really tough conversations with her, her kid who is black. And, you know, having a white child talking about something like racism is incredibly hard and overwhelming and we couldn't find resources. So we're developing that. <laughs> so I'd encourage listeners, you know, have a conversation with somebody different than you, get educated and talk with little people. The beauty of little people is that they don't have the the same assumptions we do, right? So it it helps me understand like, oh, I learned this. I learned not to be curious. I learned to be like, oh, they're different and they're bad. That's not natural. Like my daughter looks for similarities in people and she appreciates difference in people. She empathizes and she's super curious. Sometimes she wants to ask questions. I'm like, let's work on the wording of that a little bit. But she wants, she sees the value of diversity. I mean, she told me last week, Mom, love is love. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no like, you can't love somebody because they're different. You know, it's just love is love, mom. And it's like, what if we all just took a childlike perspective on this? How refreshing it could be. Yeah. Can you imagine how, how much better the world would be? Yeah. And to your point, I think that that whole worldview that gets formed and recognizing that whether you have two employees or 2,000 employees or 20,000 employees, you could have 20,000 worldviews, right? Because of how we were raised and formed and the people around us. And, you know, in order to build high-performing anything, in order to create profound impact, aligning people to a purpose and to create buy-in where we all know which direction we're rowing, why we're rowing, and who we're rowing with, that's what we're trying to do. 
that creates better teams, right? And let's get through the barrier of like, at the end of the day, I want to bring out the greatest good of all people. Whoever listens, engages, joins, whatever that looks like. And so that's my view. That's my perspective. It's, again, there are things in my past that I had to learn from, you know, and now I'm to the point, Julie, I've shared with you, I think last time we were speaking that, you know, I get calls from diversity panels that says, hey, we need a white cisgender male to join the panel who has understanding, is not afraid to ask the questions that other people are thinking and also isn't afraid for people to bring the questions and have the dialogue, right? You know, if you would have told me 15 years ago that I would be in that place, I certainly wouldn't have even understood what you mean. Yeah, this is new. I mean, that's kind of exciting to think about the newness of needing a white man on a panel, which you and I know, like they're usually called mantles because it's usually filled with white guys. Right, right. The fact that that's even a problem is kind of exciting. (laughs) It is, it is. You know, I was just recently, I spoke to a group of, I think there were 64 women and we were talking about having the same conversation we're having. And the panel was how to have productive conversations. And there were people in that room who said, I have never even thought about, right? With everything that's going on and that has happened in the last year, there are still individuals that are to what you shared earlier that are like, that's a, that's a problem. Like that's happening. I never, and what happened from that because they had that conversation and individuals were there to actually listen. There was a respect in the room. What was the final ask of that event? Were people raising their hands, typing in the chat, saying, how do we continue this conversation, right? And if we could just continue these conversations, that will make our world a better place because it will have the ripple effect across everyone you're engaging with. The conversations that I've had with my three children in the past year have changed a little and have been even more intentional. The downside of being a child of a podcast host and of a business owner is my kids have lots of conversations about with me or ask me questions. You know, the whole Black Lives Matter to All Lives Matter. Dad, what's the difference and why does it matter? And You know, and having the dialogue that like, you know, yes, and right. Here's the reason for that. Don't let the distortions happen, the distortions that the world puts around and people create. There's still a very important reason that you understand why. Yeah. It's paradox, too. I mean, you said the yes and. That's something I've been learning a lot about, the diversity conversation. Yes, all lives matter. And we're talking about Black Lives Matter right now, right? Like, those two things are not opposite. They're very much the same. But the focal point right now is that Black lives have not been respected as much as other lives. So that's the conversation we need to have right now. But yeah, isn't it funny? Like the stuff your kids will ask you. I think the hardest question I got last summer was like, why do they keep having, why do black men have to keep dying, mom? And I was like, mm. and I just started crying. And then I was like, that's not the right answer because now she's learned not to ask the question, but I didn't know what to do. 
And I told her it's wrong, you know, and that it is, you know, it's likely because of their skin color. Some people just don't like people that have black and brown skin and that's wrong. And we've got to keep talking about it, especially as white people, that that's not okay. And, you know, we've infused our house with dolls and like toys and storybooks. I mean, our whole bookshelf looks completely different in the last couple of years, but it's all intentional. All of this has to be intentional. Like I I go back to like what works in corporate America looks, works for you personally as well. Intentional, consistent conversations about this. And if you don't think one conversation matters, you could be talking to somebody that was very much sitting on the fence and family members that fall into this category of like, I don't see it, Julie. Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. If you get one fence center to turn, then they talk to some of the other people sitting on the fence. Like it is, it's like this ripple effect, this domino. And we can't be held down like the patriarchy and the systems that support white supremacy don't work if the people that it was built for don't comply. And when you really think about that, that does mean our individual actions truly do matter because they set a precedent and they set a model for others to follow. You know, we do on our board at the Talent Magnet Institute and at Centennial, the executive search firm that my family leads, we have Procter & Gamble alumni. We're in Cincinnati, Ohio. We have many of our faculty, our Procter & Gamble alumni, and we had a discussion with their vice president of design and head of their P&G Ventures, Tyson Betts, who's maybe one of the most for me, he's such an inspiration. He's a, a world, like a world-sized creative, right? He brings, he sees things that others don't see, and he hears things and feels things that others don't see. He happens to also be on our board of directors at the Talent Magnet Institute. And we talked a lot about, you know, how organizations, you know, what I would say to everyone is look up We See Equal on YouTube, look up The Look the choice, the talk, right? You know, here's how an organization can take steps to create profound impact, right? Those were decisions they made for their brand, knowing there might be some people who turn away from our product, but more so there's going to be people who are educated by what we do and how we do it and the the levels that we have. Yeah, they've done a great job. And they did that way before it was cool to do it too, which was really the part that I love the most. Yeah, lead well, lead boldly. And that's why we're having these because we want to attract leaders who lead well, who lead boldly. And as I've said, who help, you know, it's okay to love your people well. We've actually had an attorney talk to our members and our talent magnet leadership community about the phrase Mike Simple uses about loving your employees well, right? The distortions that have come around that are distortions. But I can tell you that by me being ambassador for my people and my community and my friends and the people who I'm introduced to, you know, Julie, you and I have not met physically. We've met through a virtual world. Right. But I, I wake up every day with a view that I was implanted by my grandfather, my mom and dad and my in-laws, like I'm going to be an advocate for everyone who I see doing great work. And I'm going to ring the bell and share the word and share the love. And I hope to bring that same energy to the people who we're influencing with our work. Like do that. Life is just easier. It helps everyone. And it's not a zero sum game. Like I I think when we think of like, oh, if I, you know, 
when I, if someone's like a competitor, and you probably experience, there's a lot of people that do the kind of work we do. Like, I don't look at anyone as competition and I'm not trying to be foolish, but like, I think there's enough work for everybody. Gosh, if we were all having these conversations, what a better world we would live in and people wouldn't just like going to their jobs every day. You know, it's just, that's the opportunity that we have. So I love you celebrating and amplifying the voices of others. That's one of the things you can do as an ally, find people different than you and amplify, you know, share their message on social media, you know, find a way to get their voice out there more in the world. Because a lot of times it comes better a lot of times, especially from a white guy talking about something like diversity, people take note, like, whoa, he's like not got any skin in the game. (laughs) Or like, oh, he's, you know, doesn't stand to benefit from this. So I love that voice amplification piece is a huge part of being an ally too. I'll just say, because it's what came to mind, how I benefit is that my brothers and sisters, no matter what they believe, do, think, look like, are amplified, right? Like that's the purpose of this world, you know? And again, I know that I, you know, from the Talent Magnet Institute perspective, companies come to us, companies come to Julie. And, you know, again, go to Julie's site incredible resources, follow her on LinkedIn, incredible resources, conversations, and things to strengthen your abilities in these topics so that you can show up for your people, for your family, for your community, neighborhoods, and life in a more profound way, right? So incremental change, pick something, pick a conversation that you're going to a YouTube video you're going to watch, a blog post you're going to read, and then talk to someone about it. Yep. You will get incrementally better if you do that one time a week, one time a day, or just maybe there's one thing you do this year that strengthens you. And then guess what? All of your employees around, you may actually ask for someone on your team to speak up that typically doesn't speak up because no one asks her to speak up, right? Or no one asks him to share their, his idea, right? Be thinking about like, oh, yeah, in a meeting, the same seven people talk all the time. So what about the other 35 people who are in that same meeting? Wonder what ideas they have. That's being active, right? That's stepping into an inclusive and equitable environment. And when you do that, Julie, the sad, the sad part, and maybe the encouraging part in the same speak most employees have never experienced that environment, right? You want to be a talent magnet, be an ambassador for all of the humans that you employ. That's all you got to do. Yeah, because imagine if your voice hasn't been heard, right? And this, this is like how I usually frame diversity, you know, because everyone's like, oh, we're going to recruit and hire diverse talent right now, which I'm like, ha, 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 good luck. Because <laughs> if they're not doing the things, the behaviors, like, to feel included, people aren't going to want to stay or even right. take the job because there's never been such a talent war for diverse talent. But diversity is like being asked into the meeting, right? Inclusion is like, oh, I can talk at the meeting. Like I'm not being talked over, interrupted, which tends to happen a lot to underrepresented people. And then belonging is like what we're really driving towards is that sense of love and connection where not only am I invited to the meeting, I'm included in the meeting, but people actually listen when I speak. And that's, if you think about this, I mean, that is where we're at. Like we are not there yet. Like there are very few even inclusive environments for all people, let alone belonging environments for all people. So we have a long way to go. And if you're not doing these things, like you're just going to be so much less relevant to your employees, to your customers, to all those business results that at the end of the day, that's what we're in business for to achieve results. And you're just not going to get them as much 
by continuing to do the same old things. That's right. That's right. So, Julie, when you just referenced belonging, we had a research director of the Institute for the Future speak her whole world is around the future of belonging. Have you heard of Vanessa Mason? Are you familiar with Vanessa Mason? A recent podcast, we had the distinct pleasure of sponsoring, being the podcast sponsor of an event called Securing the Future. And she was the keynote this year for the Securing the Future conference. We interview the keynotes, kind of pull out what they're passionate about so people can get a preview going into that discussion and kind of warm them up to the opportunity that they're going to have. And, you know, she has a whole, uh, if you go to belonging.substack.com, it's basically a journey that a collective impact journey that we're in together. You can participate in the Miro boards and provide your thoughts and post-its and ideas. It's all about the future of belonging. And she spoke about that never in, you know, kind of, I guess, the research timeframe of the, the world has there been a more focal point where loneliness, disaffiliation, and displacement has occurred. And people feeling those three things is a really scary thing, right? And how do we create a future of belonging where, you know, we take these opportunities and these conversations and create transformation in the world around us because nobody wants to be lonely, nobody wants to be disaffiliated, and nobody wants to be displaced. But if we're not careful now more than ever, that can take place. I agree. And I'd add one other thing that I'm saying that happens usually from the majority group when we talk about diversity is irrelevance. And I'm going to feel irrelevant somehow because I'm not diverse or I'm not important to this conversation. And so not only are all these feelings of loneliness and separation happening, but at the same time, when we talk about something like inclusion, we risk losing people that felt included. <laughs> so it's just, it's quite the conundrum, really. Yeah, yeah. This work will never end, which I'm thankful for, but it is kind of depressing when I think about, you know, when chances of my lifetime that we see a lot of change is, I would love to say is possible, but it'd probably be, you know, not my kids even, but my grandkids. And that's, this work's a long haul, but these things are really, really important that we keep talking about them. You know, Julie, thank you for your time today. I want to invite everyone to check out nextpivotpoint.com. Julie, I'm going to invite them to at least send you a note on LinkedIn if they're not connected. But please include that you heard the podcast so Julie knows the introduction because nobody wants to get a LinkedIn invite who has no context, right? So share, I heard this on the episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I encourage all of you to check out the Next Pivot Point podcast. And also look up the Inclusion School podcast. If there are little ones that are around you, either in your community, children, grandchildren, individuals that you are in some mentorship or parental role with, it's another just fantastic resource of how to have these conversations. Thank you for that. I really appreciate the accolades and I'd love to connect with people on LinkedIn. I post every day, so there's no shortage of content there. (laughs) Well, Julie, thank you for being a part of this conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute. To our audience, thank you for desiring to lead well in relationships, work, community, and life. It's an honor to be with you on this journey. We both, Julie and I both invite you to send us questions. We know that this for many is just the start to a conversation, but also to many, it's a next step 
to a conversation, right? So don't let the flames and ideas and dialogue, you know, dwindle out. Um, so again, thank you for being a part of this, Julie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. It sure has. Again, thank you to our audience. We will see you on the next episode. And I look forward to the next conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.